0: This is the podcast for RUF at the University of Texas. A community for students to experience God's grace and express God's grace to others. For more information, visit www.ruf.org/ut or find us on Instagram at TexasRUF. We're going to talk we're going to go through four psalms and we're going to do we're going to think of the Psalms this way. The Christian life is not an overnight process. The Christian life doesn't happen overnight. Becoming like Jesus doesn't happen overnight. You, spoiler alert, are not going to just wake up tomorrow and be perfectly humble and perfectly lovable and perfectly selfless like Jesus. It's a long process, a long journey, a long pilgrimage. And any long road trip pilgrimage kind of deal, you've got to have songs you got to have music. you got to have a playlist. And as I was thinking about this idea of the long pilgrimage of following Jesus, what four songs would I want? And these are my songs. And I want them to be your songs. Because these are the four songs that I believe, if you, if you get them, you sing them as they were, they will go from, from your mind down into your heart and into your bones and into your hands and into your life. It will keep you a Christian if you're a Christian when you're 42 years old. And also these four songs introduce Jesus to us. If you don't know how you feel about Jesus in a really beautiful way. The first one we're going to do is help. That's our first song, song for the road, help. And that's Psalm 121. You have the text before you. So two, two summers ago, I almost drowned in the ocean.
1: I almost drowned in the
0: ocean. I'm going to come over there and get it in a second and read the passage. Uh, We were in the 30A area uh, of of Florida, so Destin, Panama City, and my wife and myself and our daughter and Ivy's family were all at the beach, and there were hurricane-level storms like passing through, and we still got some great weather, and on the last day, there was double red flags, just like it had been all week, and my brother-in-law, he's a a long-distance runner. I love running. We got up and ran that morning. We ran five or six miles And we're feeling really good. And we're like, let's go do the last mile on the beach. So we're on the beach and we're finishing that last mile, just sort of cooling down. And like, well, let's, let's just kind of wait in the water a little bit. And we wait and we had done this like every day, like we'd done this every day. It was double red flags, but we felt like, well, we've done this every day. We should have thought, well, we ran six miles this morning. So our legs might be not as fresh. So I get it like waist deep and Slowly and steadily, I was pulled out, and eventually i couldn 't stand anymore and my brother in law will is uh, is about six feet tall, and so i 'm five eight five nine or so, and he still could stand and he was coming out with me and eventually the ocean floor dropped for him, and we were out there for twelve minutes, which felt like twelve hours and Ivy and my daughter and, and Will's family is just getting increasingly further and further away from us. And they're freaking out. We can see them freaking out. And there are three distinct moments when I looked at Will in the face and made eye contact with him. And I almost told him, you just need to go ahead and go back and leave me out here. Three distinct moments. If I were to go in the intensity of those moments and the nuances of those moments, I was convinced I was not going to make it. We got back miraculously. I don't, know, I don't know anything about the ocean, but whatever was going on underneath me, I like it, you know, whatever's going on sort of spat me out of this hole of something that we were in and I could stand up and Will pushed me and I got back. Not sure how it all happened. It happened very fast. We got back. I've never felt more physically helpless in my life than in that moment. Um, I've never felt more vulnerable mentally and emotionally as I'm watching my two-month-old getting smaller and smaller in the distance. Helpless. Helpless. Has that been the past, like, year and a half with COVID for you? Is that you now spiritually, relationally, socially, mentally, emotionally helpless? Is that you... Um, The Christian life is not a life of self-sufficiency. It is not a life of greater autonomy from Jesus, but greater dependence on Jesus. Greater childlike helplessness. That's our song. Let's read the passage and walk through it. Psalm 121. This is God's word. Uh, Friends, He has spoken to us. He's not silent. He's spoken to us not to give us a theology exam to ace. He hasn't spoken to us to give us a book of rules to follow. He's spoken to you and to me tonight because he loves us. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your goings out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Let's pray. Lord, your word is living and active. We know that's true because you are living and active. And yet we find ourselves not just grateful that you've spoken, but scattered and distracted and tired. And so we pray honestly. Um, we do not want to pretend, um, that life is not impossible. And so we find ourselves helpless. And we ask that you by your spirit would slow us down this weekend, but even right this moment, um, to hear you speak and in speaking, you would make us hear and see the beauty of Jesus. And we pray in his name. Amen. So you have, um, two points, two points, looking and finding, Looking and finding. Let's do the first one, looking. Looking for the help that we need. Psalm 121 is one of these psalms. If you'd imagine, the the psalms are Israel, God's people in the Old Testament. It's their hymn book. It's their hymnal. It's their prayer book. They're songs and poems that God's people, when they would gather together like this, like we were just singing, they would sing these songs in their corporate worship services. And Psalm 121 is a genre of its own. It's in the, the genre of the psalms of ascent. God's people would get together and they would go on this hiking trip and they would sing while they're on the road together, going to Jerusalem, to the temple, and they were going up, up a hill, hence ascent, psalm of ascent. So where are their eyes looking? Up. Not on their immediate circumstances, not on their own resources. They're looking outside of themselves to get the help that they need. But they're looking. What and who captures our vision Reveals what's going on in our insides. What's captivating our vision, it reveals what's going on in our hearts. Where do we look? That, that's a self-awareness question that I, I hope that you wrestle with this weekend. Where do you look to find the help that you need, that you think that you need? Who or what has your attention? We could put it this way. Who or what in your life, if it was ripped away or if they left you, you would just be completely undone because you're so convinced that they or it would give you the help that you feel like that you need in your life. Because some of us feel like if we could just keep the peace at all cost, just have like a relatively stable, secure life, then you'll have the help and security that you feel like you need. Maybe You look to your ability to right wrongs in life and just get your hands around life and can just control life. Your relationships, your GPA, the internships, post seniors, your post-grad plans. If you could just get your hands around it. Some of us are so good at meticulously people-pleasing. Anyone else? That we will go around endlessly charming everyone, even on weekends like this, to make sure everyone is cool with us. Why? Because we feel like the people around us can give us the help that we need, the soul rest that we really need. Others of us look to image and status and reputation, the way that you look and the way that you dress and how competent you are has always gotten attention. You've always been able to be noticed. When you walk into a room, you know exactly how to work any social space. And so this attention, this image, this status gives you the help that you feel like you need to have this soul rest that your heart wants. So where or who do you look? Your abilities, people in your life, what is it? Or who is it? But the psalmist has right vision. This guy singing this song has right vision and his attention. His vision is on God alone. Let's go to the second one. Finding the help that we need because he found his help. He found the help that he's looking for. And really, the psalm, really, the last half of the psalm is him just like basking in how help, like how God is his help. And how the specificity of God's care and the specificity of his love and help in his life. And the first thing that we see is that God, just when he helps us, he's helping us in that he keeps us. Did you notice this? The refrain in this psalm is that God keeps us. He's our keeper. It occurs six times in eight verses. God keeps you. And it's not a it's not a generic or general help like Okay, she, as my daughter, sort of needs general help from me. So I'll, like, zap some, like, God-like stuff in your direction. Hopefully, something will rant, land. Or he's, like, generally needy right now, relationally and socially and mentally in friendships. I know he's generally lonely. So I'll just, like, give him a random group of friends. He knows exactly what he's doing with you and the way that he keeps you and cares for you. There's a specificity. To the way that he loves his children and cares for his children and keeps his children. And a lot of it's done while we're asleep. Did you notice the language of the psalmist? He says, He who keeps Israel even when you're sleeping is not sleeping. One of my heroes, Wendell Berry, in one of his poems, says this: Great work is done while we're asleep. Great work is done while we're sleeping. Who's working? He is. Not you. You're asleep. The Lord knows that you are weary specifically in the weariness. He knows that you're confused and he knows all the nuances and corners of your confusion. And so he's keeping you in specific ways. There's a specificity of his care. He also keeps us or he helps us in that, not just keeping us, he protects us. He protects us. It's true, the Lord doesn't just keep you But he protects you. You see in verse six and seven, if you look again, he protects his people from harm during the day and in the evening. He protects us from all evil. This is a comprehensive protection always from it all any time, not just occasional protection, all the time protection. There's he's not taking the foot off the gas of this attribute of his and how it is. It's just in his in his core of who he is to help you this way. There's no clocking out for God's help for you. He shepherds and guards his people. You know that the psalm the psalmist would have been familiar probably because they sang songs all the time. They probably had all there's 150 of them. Most scholars believe that in the 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 Jewish tradition, the way that they would, how often they would sing these songs, not just when they would hike up to Jerusalem. To the temple, but they would sing all 150 Psalms, like probably on a weekly basis. So we can conclude they probably knew this famous one called Psalm 23. Have you heard of that one? I bet you have. How is God described as a shepherd? What does he do? He protects his sheep. How does he do that? He has a rod and a staff. What does he do with that? He beats down any threat, any bully, even death. When he walked up out of a graveyard and he said, death, sin, do not touch my sheep. That's what he's going to do with a rod and a staff. He's going to defeat death. He's going to defeat any bully, spiritual or otherwise, of your life that wants to touch you. No man, no person, no circumstance can touch you according to the shepherd. He keeps you. Not a hair on your head will perish. Who said that? Jesus. (laughs) Jesus. If you're a Christian, nothing on this earth can touch you, not even death. I remember uh, my older brother is 10 years older than me. So I was in kindergarten when he was a junior and senior. He graduated from high school when I was in first grade. And so I, it was a pre, pre-K all the way to 12. And so we, I was a preschool student and a Uh, and I was in kindergarten when he was in high school and we were at the same school. And so I would get out and I would go to recess, do all the things. And then I would go to my brother's locker and I would wait on him. I would sit down and like, look at, you know, probably Jordans um, and fantasize about the new Jordans. And then my brother would come find me and he would get me and we would walk around the halls. And I'm literally like the only kindergartner on this hall of like all these big, scary high schoolers. And I remember holding my brother's hand and feeling unstoppable, unstoppable. No one can touch me. And Jesus, I think in Psalm 23, when he says, I'm the good shepherd, he is saying, I'm the Psalm 23 shepherd. Jordan, when he preached through Christ, our shepherd, when Jesus is feeding 5,000 on that piece of land, Jesus is essentially saying, when you read Psalm 23, you're reading about me. I feed my people for sure, but also he protects his people. And he never stops doing that. There are all kinds of promises in the Bible that, again, it's not occasional protection. It is all of life protection. And you need that kind of protection. You know that you need it and you have it. Right here, right now. Okay. He keeps us, protects us. He also walks with us. He, he goes with us. One of the ways that I've felt uh, during this season of COVID-19 and my, my older brother, he'll come up a lot this week. And my older brother died of, of stage four colon cancer a few years ago and uh, right before his 30, his 40th birthday. And it was the hardest thing I've ever gone through in my life. And I'm in the thick of it right now, right now. And in grief and in suffering, not when you suffer, if you grieve, when. One of the lies is that God is emotionally distant and apathetic at best. But he's far away. He's not engaged. And so suffering and disappointments, it's so tempted to believe lies about God, not just yourself, but about God's character. And I want you to see this wonderful line. Listen to this. He's so close that he's like the shade on your right hand. So that's a weird phrase. I, can we just acknowledge the Bible is so weird? Like, the Bible's strange. You, like, the shade on my right hand. It's just such a, isn't that just a churchy phrase? It's saying he is so close to you. Ivy, has, Ivy, with my daughter, y'all have seen new moms. You've probably seen Emily Griesbeck with Georgia. They have these, like, rappy things with their babies. These, like, little, you know, pouchy, rappy things. And you can't even distinguish between the mom and the baby. They're all just together. Um, I think that's kind of like shade on your right hand. I think that's what's going on here. Like, how... And I mean, y'all know why the baby gets in that position with the mom and that rappy thing and why it's so magical for the baby. What does it remind them of? What the last nine months of their life has been like when they are completely one with their mom. Shade on your right hand. He's with you. He's going with us. And some of y'all are going through heavy stuff. And you need to know that. Not just that he's protecting you. That he's saying, don't touch my daughter. Don't touch my son. But also, I'm with you through the pain of it. Just because he's protecting you doesn't mean that the suffering and the impossibility of living in a fallen world doesn't sting. It stings. We're going to talk about that tomorrow morning. It's going to be a very encouraging weekend. Um, But when we get honest about suffering, we just need to name the fact that it stings and it hurts. But we have all kinds of promises like this in Psalm 121 that he isn't just keeping us, protecting us, but with us in the pain in the pain. He's not dozing off. I hope you see how actively engaged Jesus is in your life and how the psalmist has lived this. I think if he was if we could have heard the psalmist singing this, I think he would be emotionally engaged and spiritually like behind his words that he was singing because he experienced them all right early parenthood takeaway very profound ready babies are helpless the early days if ivy doesn't feed annie not going to eat can't walk yet if we don't pick her up she's not going to get too far utterly helpless helpless She's a pretty good sleeper, Annie is, when she's not sick. She's been sick recently, but she's all night sleeper kind of from day one, which is like such a gift in parenthood. But sometimes it's, it's kind of a grind. And like clockwork, you'll put her down, five minutes go by, crying, go back, work some more magic, put her back down 15 more minutes, and this goes on every hour on like sick nights. And I'm just holding her, trying to work all the dad magic skills that I possibly can have. All the songs, all the books, all the magic tricks. Who becomes helpless in this process? Me. I'm being schooled in the skills of being a helpless child with Jesus by my daughter. And we don't move on from that. We don't move on from that. And I've thought in those moments, why does it take... Suffering and people dying, and my daughter waking up this much to get me to just be childlike with Jesus and be needy, because self-sufficiency is so intoxicating. I don't want help. I don't want to admit help. It's so countercultural to act like, to admit that you need help. It's easier to pull your bootstraps up and just do it. Just get it done. It just is. It's so uncomfortable. But Jesus says there's no other way. There's no other way to rely on him in this way. I'm going to close with re- telling you guys about this woman who appeared on The Voice. And her, um, her name is Jane Marcheski. That's how we're going to pronounce it, okay? We're going to go with that, Marcheski. And she went on The Voice, and she had experienced um, cancer three separate times before she turned 30 years old. And turned, she goes by Nightbird. This is her, her sort of singer-artist name. And I kind of started deep diving on this girl. Her voice is amazing, and she suffered a lot in her life and is just very young. It turns out she's a Christian, and she's written a lot about her experience in suffering and going through cancer as a Christian, and I want to read you some of it, okay? But I do want to warn you, um, roll with me. Fairly lengthy. We're not going to go on for like 10 minutes reading this, but it's worth every word. So deep breath. Let's go. I've had cancer three times now, and I've barely passed 30. I fear sometimes that when I die and I meet with God, that he will say I disappointed him or offended him or failed him. But one thing I know for sure, he can never say that he did not know me because I'm God's downstairs neighbor banging on the ceiling with a broomstick. I show up at his door every day. Sometimes with songs, sometimes with curses, sometimes apologies, gifts, questions, demands. Sometimes I use my key under the mat to let myself in. Other times I sulk outside until he opens the door to let me in himself. I've called him a cheat and a liar in my life, and I've meant it. I've told him that I wanted to die. I meant that too. Tears have become my only prayer that I know, and the prayers roll over my nostrils, drip down my forearms. They fall to the ground as I reach for him. These are the prayers that I repeat night and day. Call me bitter if you want to, and that's fair. Count me among the angry, the cynical, the offended, the hardened, but count me also among the friends of God. For I've seen him in rare form. I've felt his exhale laid in his shadow, squinted to read the message that he wrote for me in the grout. I'm sad too. If an explanation would help, I think he would write me one. But maybe an explanation would only start an argument between me and God, and I don't want to argue with God. I want to lay in a hammock with him and trace the veins in his arms. I I remind myself that I'm praying to the God who let the Israelites stay lost for decades. For 40 years, their shoes didn't wear out. Fire lit their path each night. Every morning, he sent them mercy bread from heaven, and it was called manna, which means, what is it? And that's the question I'm asking. I know there's mercy in my life, but what is it? Where is it? What is it? And I see mercy here in the dusty sunlight that outlines the streets, in my mother's crooked hands, in the blanket my friend left for me, in the harmony of the wind chimes. It's not the mercy I asked for, but it's mercy. And I learned a new prayer. Thank you. It's a prayer I don't mean yet, but I will pray and repeat until I do. Call me cursed, call me lost, almost done. Call me scorned, but that's not all. Call me chosen and blessed and sought after. Call me the one who God whispers his secrets to, because I'm the one whose belly is filled with the loaves of mercy that were hidden just for me. Even on days when I'm not so sick, sometimes I go lay in a mat in the afternoon light and listen for him. I know that sounds crazy and I can't explain it, but God's there. I've heard it said that some people can't find God because they won't look low enough, and that's true. If you can't see him, look lower. God is on the bathroom floor. Whew. God is on the bathroom floor. God helps those with panic attacks. God helps those with severe anxiety. This weekend, I have no idea how you're doing this semester. I know that like everyone is anxious as hell. God helps those who have addictions that they can't shake. God is on the bathroom floor. He can handle your chaos and he won't just handle it. He will address it with such specific care and protection and keeping your whole life. How do we do that? How do we get it? We just say help. That's it.